Hello and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for another week. What a week it's been. Feels like it's been a big week already, but it's only Tuesday. But we're going to have a good time talking about the dub, talking about everything that has been happening in the world of women's football, and we absolutely cannot wait to get stuck in. Before we do, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. No Anna Harrington for the next little bit. She's busy doing other things, watching other sports, doing her job. But have no fear, you're still stuck with me, Russell Adenick, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So, besties, let's do some your love to see it to kick us off. Angela, what did you love to see from this weekend it will come as a shock to no one that i love to see michelle Heyman score more goals this weekend uh it was a bright start for canberra uh in the angela derby uh which ended up being a 2-3 win to victory anyway we'll, we'll chat about that later but you know things looked really nice to begin with and michelle Heyman got her 102nd goal um in the a-league women this was after they did like a really nice um like award celebration at the start of the game as well and crowd numbers looking good again for Canberra as well so there were a lot of people there to see um to celebrate her and yeah and she was just like why not (laughs) more goals why not so yeah she scored her 102nd uh very Michelle Heyman goal just like placing it really well into the back of the net and then she got her 103rd as well so you love to see it just a classic 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 indeed she can't stop and she won't stop and we absolutely love her for it um i'm gonna quickly jump in with a you'll love to see it i'm gonna do two really sneakily and very quickly um emily gilnick is finally back on the goal scoring sheet not just like for Melbourne victory and in the A-League women's, but just in general, because I feel like in terms of players who have had just absolutely rotten injury runs, she has been front of that list for a little while now. So it was awesome to see that she is back, seemingly healthy and also scoring goals. It was an excellent effort in that game, as Angela just said, the 3-2 win for victory over Canberra. In also, I just I really like the pink victory away kit. I wish it was pinker, but um, we absolutely love to see Emily Gilnick back healthy, most importantly, and scoring goals as a fun little bonus. Um, we also love to see an outfielder in goal. We will get into it a little bit more, like right off the top, because what a ridiculous game. Um, we we will get into it very shortly. But uh, Ashworth Irwin donning the gloves after. Uh, Central Coast went down to 10, didn't have any more goalkeepers. Someone They needed a hero, and Ash Irwin was that woman. So we absolutely love to see that. But Sam, what did you love to see from this weekend? I'm going to follow suit and have two little sneaky ones as well. Um, the first is uh, based in Australia. The second is based in England. So the first is Kirsty Fenton's assist for Sydney FC's winning goal against the Newcastle Jets this past weekend. Uh, it was the ball to set up Zara Kruger who um, knocked the ball past the goalkeeper in the 96th minute. I think it was the last touch of the whole game for Sydney FC to win it. And Kirsty Fenton, who I think has been Sydney's best player by a long way, um, 
it was kind of a Hail Mary, but also like she's very smart. So I don't know whether she had intended this, but the ball kind of clanged out of midfield and she just put a left foot through it and it sailed over the entire field somehow right into the path of Zara Kruger, who'd come on not too, too long, um, not too, too much earlier. And she just, just a little chip, little chip passing goalkeeper. And then it, it just sort of bounced very, um, very delightfully into the back of the net. Yeah, that ball was crazy. It was, it was so good. It was just, it was, it's sort of summarized in his entire season. Like so much for some reason happens to this team in like the last five or 10 minutes of their games, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so that long ball to, yeah, absolutely just like cut that game in half um, from Kirsty Fenton was amazing. And my second one is over in England, um, almost a Kirsty, Christy Mewis, who got her uh, first start for West Ham against Tottenham. There was a great clip going around of um, Christy Mewis versus the wind. And uh, she had to take a corner on the left side she had to try sort of two or three to different times to keep the ball in place because the wind was absolutely howling um to the point where the ball was still rolling when she actually took the corner kick but you know Christy Mewis defeating the wind on her debut for West Ham the club that she's wanted to join for such a long time love to see it love to see Australians doing well in the WSL we're claiming her America suck on that one um (laughs) That game also just had, like, even beyond Christy, a very Australian influence, rather. We saw Charlie Grant and Minnie Gorry making their debuts for Tottenham and West Ham, respectively. Um, we had Kyra Kenny Cross and Sam Kerr in the stands. It was just like a little Australian reunion, which we absolutely love to see. My words today, my goodness. Um, but let's actually talk about the dub, because that is what we are here to do. We'll quickly run through the results from the past week. Before we started recording, Sam was like, hey, guys, remember that midweek game that happened? And, you know, it was crazy and Central Coast beat Sydney 2-1 and Ash Irwin was in goal and there was the 96th-minute winner. And it was like, oh, yeah, that happened. So we will obviously be talking about that. We've also got City defeating Wellington 2-1, the Angela Derby, which victory won 3-2 over Canberra. A very chaotic scoreless draw between Perth and Brisbane. Western United defeated Adelaide United 1-0. Sydney then defeated the Jets 2-1 and Western Sydney also defeated a team 2-1. It was the Central Coast Mariners. But we need to start with that midweek game because it was insane in its own right. But as Sam mentioned before we started recording, it's been a very hectic kind of week for Sydney FC and you were very surprised. You were like, after all of this insanity, the Sky Blues are somehow second on the ladder. They've just emerged yeah. into like title contention, title conversations. Um, so yes, please feel free to talk about Sydney FC's very chaotic week and how they've ended up in the position they're in. I mean, they're a very good team, so we know to an extent why they are where they are. But explain it to us. What is going on? What's happening? But this is the thing, Marissa, is that this season they are not a very good team. So it's even more shocking to me that they have somehow Stephen Bradbury their way into second spot. I do not understand how this happened. Um, I think probably just the luck of the of the draw in the sense that they had um, a couple of games rescheduled from the start of the season, which is now why they've just played three games in the space of seven days and have won two of those games. And, and somehow I think because of the way that some of the other games have sort of shaken out as well, they've, they've managed to get to the 
the, the near the tippy top of the ladder. And it's just nuts to me because I haven't seen a Sydney FC side play quite as disjointedly, quite as uncreatively, quite as badly as this. Like I, I, I fully appreciate that missing their two most senior strikers has really dented their ability going forward. And the fact that they've scored, I think the fewest number of goals across the entire league, just even though they're in second spot, they've, they've, they've scored the fewest goals, but they've also conceded the fewest goals. So they can still, they still remember how to defend. Thank God. Um, that obviously hurts things and it, it makes things really difficult. And so we're starting to see, Ante Juric drawing upon a lot of his very young players. You know, the two players who scored on the weekend against Newcastle were I think 17 and, and 16 respectively or something insane. Um, and and so this is probably just the, the end result of chucking a whole bunch of kids onto the field and hoping that they stick together and somehow can play some football. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's just, it's wild. It's wild that they've ended up in second. This game against the Central Coast Mariners, the midweek game, you know, I, I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, I love midweek football. How good is this? Like coming back from a day at work and he's just sort of kicking back. You're like, this is great. But then, you know, don't think too hard about the fact that they just played three days earlier and they have to play again three days later. Um, but this game, like for the first probably, gosh, 75 minutes, me and my partner were kind of just like, this is the most boring thing I think I've ever watched. I might have to switch it off and, and watch Gladiators. But um then it's like the universe heard me and they were like, you know what? We're going to squeeze all of the action into this final 10 minute pocket of time. And you are going to regret ever thinking that you were going to switch away from this. So as you mentioned at the top, Marissa, there was the, the goalkeeper absolutely chaos where Sarah Langman copped a second. So, okay. So here's the, the, the timeline of what happened in this game. So uh, Casey Dumont, the, the starting goalkeeper, came off at halftime with a bit of an injury. No one really sort of knew what happened. Sarah Langman, the second choice goalkeeper, went on um, at halftime. Sarah Langman copped a yellow card. And then Sarah Langman copped a second yellow card uh, in, in the space of, I think, 40 minutes, getting a red card and, and having to go off the field. So, um, you know, you'd have to try and look to your bench and be like, well, is there a third goalkeeper that we can... No, they didn't have a third goalkeeper. Of course they don't. So what do they do? They give the gloves to an outfielder. And, like, God bless her because she did so well, particularly on the free kick that just, ended, like, came from that Sarah Lungman red card. There was a free kick immediately taken by Sydney FC and the standing goalkeeper saved it. Um, but then she kind of fluffed it in the, the, like five minutes later when Mackenzie Hawksby took an absolute, like a shot from the moon and somehow she just forgot to catch it. And it just, and it, anyway, so it was just, it was wild. It, and I, I like, a, I, I really don't know how to assess a team that kind of gets to a stage like that. And they just kind of have to rely on chaos, especially a team like Sydney who haven't really been a chaos dependent team in the past in order to get shit done, you know? But this season, that's just something that they, they're they embracing. Um, maybe that's a good thing. They're, they're adding more tools to their, their belt, maybe. Um, yeah, it was um, it was amazing. And it's like, I, again, we talk about this a lot, but this, this league is ridiculous. <laughs> this is another example of that. Uh, but I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that now Sydney FC are actually back in finals contention. I do think they deserve to be here even though they haven't played very good football, um, they're just tenacious and they have a lot of really good young players coming through. And this is probably just the start of 
that next gen kind of refresh that they've needed for a while. It's it's so fascinating to watch them cook because, like, we've seen Sydney FC cook before. It's very different cooking. Um, this is this is chaos <laughs> kitchen cooking, um, but it's very so. Like obviously, the two teams that they played this week are two teams that we probably need to have a little bit of a chat about, or sort of not really. Anyway, we need to talk about Newcastle very briefly because they did unfortunately fall to Sydney FC in the weekend game. Serena Bolden continues to score. And I will continue to remind people that she was simply not signed by anyone for the first five rounds of this season, which is one of the silliest things I've ever seen happen in this league, which is high praise or high criticism, whatever you want to call it. Um, But this was also the first game, I believe, that the Jets were without Gary Van Egmond because he left midweek for uh, what was dubbed a very attractive offer in China. So how do we think the Jets are going to go without Gary? I feel like we've spoken a lot about the Jets in terms of like comings, goings, last minute changes, tweaks, twists. I'm thinking of, you know, Bolden signing really last minute, the Emily Van Egmond four game guest in, and now their coach is leaving. But they're still like, they're not doing poorly they're still a team you kind of want to watch and they're in eighth currently so I like I would still very much have them in potential finals considerations but how big do we think this Gary Ben Egmond news is going to be for the Jets will they struggle without him ah that's a really good question I when I look at the Jets, like, not to compare to another team, but so, for example, with Western Sydney Wanderers, I feel like Robbie Hooker as a coach for that side has made a difference. I can't really articulate. Well, actually, I can. I feel like the decisions he's made as a coach have changed the way that they've played on the field and they're getting results because of it. Whereas for the Jets, they've been a, better than expected. I told you guys I had a nightmare that they, like, got good just to spite me because I was quite critical of them in our preseason preview of <laughs> the dub right because I was like no nah, they got nothing they do have something they definitely do have something but I do wonder if it's like a case of the kind of personnel um and again like looking at someone like Serena Bolden and you've had players like um am I correct I think Lara Gooch like she's been really coming into her own Laura Lauren Allen has been hitting her straps so like I feel like they've got a group of players who are actually hitting really good form and that's been really beneficial for them but in terms of the actual like coaching aspect of it maybe that just means that they'll continue the way they have as long as there aren't too many like major changes from Ryan Campbell the assistant coach who's like filling in until they find someone new I don't know but yeah it was it was it was a bit of a surprise I suppose because Jets have also like they gave Gary Benegmond the job of like overseeing the academies and for a club like the Jets that's quite an important role. Um, they do seem to be a bit more of like they develop younger players and then often the joke is like the younger players will spend a season at the Jets and then go somewhere better, I suppose. But, yeah, um, so the departure was a bit surprising. I think they'll they'll be okay. I just don't think that they'll be able to mount a big, you know, campaign for the finals with this interruption. Um, 
but it's not the end of days either as long as they can you know nothing actually i'm not even going to articulate that we don't even need to touch wood i'm not going to say anything Mm -mm. Mm -mm. anyway sam what do you reckon yeah no i think you i think i think your comparison between newcastle and the wanderers is correct in that I think what has gotten Newcastle to this point is the quality of the players, particularly the newer players that have been signed by Newcastle. Whereas with the Wanderers, I think the reason they are where they are is because of the coaching of the players. Um, Because they've kind of had the same choral group. A lot of those players aren't really, haven't been in the past, sort of high quality players that lots of different clubs have been after. But what Robbie Hook has been able to do is kind of turn, turn the, the water into wine, like being able to sort of, find the best combination of these players um, for, for the purposes and really being able to maximise um, their individual skill sets, especially Sophie Harding, which is why she's sort of in and amongst the golden boot conversation now. But with, with Newcastle, I think it's, it's a little bit different where it is very much about the quality of the individual players. And we've mentioned Serena Bolden a lot. I think Libby Copas-Brown has been really, really important um, for Newcastle as well. I think Natasha Pryor in central defence has been really important. Uh, Claudia Chico has been really good. Um, uh, Melinda J. Barbieri. We've had like a, a number of of, um, of external, I'm going to say, players, players coming in just for this season who are of such high quality that they've been able to really um, find a way through the season amongst themselves. I don't know how much... Of an, effle- of an influence um, Gary Van Egmond sort of had over over that. Um, and we also need to keep in mind that Newcastle off the field are still a bit of a mess. Um, like the club is still being supported by the APL. They're still trying to find someone to buy it. There's still lots of, you know, issues there. Um, and we'll obviously talk about all the APL stuff a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, I, I think now that Gary has kind of gone... I don't, I don't know very much about the the interim coach. I don't know how familiar he is with the players that um, that he's got. I don't know whether he would take the opportunity to kind of rejig things in his own image, as some coaches like to do once they're given an opportunity like this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But it would be, you know what, it would be a real shame if they were to slump, I think, because I really enjoyed watching Newcastle this season, um, especially since Serena Bolden has come on board. I think they've been really exciting they're a bit of a banana skin team for a, a lot of other big dogs, which I think is great. It's exactly the kind of like drama that we want. Um, and there are a number of really good players there that I think deserve to be celebrated because they are really high quality and they've done a lot for this club already. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what happens now, um, whether the club go for an external coach or whether they just stick with this guy who's stepped into the role um, in the absence of Gaza. Um, yeah, but I hope they stay competitive in the same way that like we've kind of seen Wellington Phoenix drop off a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but they've also been really exciting to watch. And I hope that they're able to kind of get over this mid-season kind of bump um, and and find a way to claw their way back into finals. Because, again, another really good team, a number of really good players who I think deserve to, um, to be in the national spotlight because of the way that they've been playing. Um, and yeah, maybe, I mean, this is the thing, like we sit on the outside, right? And we make these assessments based on what we see on the field, but we have no idea what the dynamics are internally. We have no idea how the players feel about themselves, each other, their coaching staff, their facilities, any of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, the fact that we're even just here talking about some of these clubs who for the past couple of seasons have been in the wilderness and they're now actually in and around 
finals and they're playing good football, football that's really attractive, football that's exciting, football that's really getting fans on side, that's sort of the, the biggest win, I think, across all of it for me. We don't need to go into depth because I think you both kind of touched them, touched on them already, but I feel like the biggest example of that is Western Sydney currently sitting in fourth and currently playing well, doing well. And um, I suppose with the benefit of hindsight now, maybe we were a little bit um, harsh or maybe a bit too almost doomsday in our chat about them in the pre-season um, especially with the last-minute coaching change, but also at the time it did feel like how could they possibly mount anything? So it's actually really um, great to see that they have been able to get things together in such a cohesive winning way. And um, I think I said this about Wellington and I think I've said it about Newcastle as well. There's no higher compliment I can give them than I'm not like I'm excited to watch Western Sydney play like if I see them on at a time where I'm watching football I'm like yeah all right let's go let's go let's see let's see what's cooking out in Western Sydney like yeah um it's it's not the kind of chore that it has been previously because of a myriad of circumstances but it's really pleasant actually to see Western Sydney doing well and not just kind of like scraping into finals but properly entrenched in that top six which is excellent to see our favorite yeah just quickly yeah go for it yeah what I what I've been really loving about watching Western Sydney is that you can tell that they have been coached very well and the best example of that probably was their 1-0 win over Melbourne City that was an amazing amazing game and it was an amazing game from like a tactical point of view because you knew coming into this game that Western Sydney probably didn't have the individual quality of players to be able to dominate the ball. But what they did was they dominated in terms of being a team and working as a team. And Melbourne City, obviously, City football is holding the ball for as long as possible and trying to unlock deep defences. But the Wanderers, like, clearly knew that. And they had been training for that and preparing for that. And they had exactly the right kinds of players to be able to play in that kind of style. They had a good solid back line. They had really energetic midfielders and they had incredibly fast forwards who were able to counterattack really quickly. And ultimately that's how they won the game. You know, they, they, they absorbed all the pressure and then they sprung on the counter and ultimately I think had the better chances over the, the 90 minutes than what Melbourne city did, despite city having like 70% possession or something insane. Um, which again is a real testament, I think, to the to the coaching off the field um, and the the way in which Hooker and his staff have been able to identify the particular talents of their particular players and find a system in which to really maximise that. So, yeah, it's great, and you know, a strong Wanderers team is important in both the women's and the men's competitions. It's important in terms of rivalries. It's important in terms of a big fan base and and having that fan base really get around and believing in what the club is doing. Um, and it's just exciting for the league. Like we, we spoke, I think at the start of the season about how we're a little bit bored of like the same old top four type of thing. And it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's those big four clubs kind of tearing away from the rest, but this season has really shown that there are a number of other clubs that with just a couple of changes, like it's not even a huge like bucket of investment, but just like, 
smart football administration off the field can actually do wonders for the football that we see on it. Although, to be fair, Western Sydney were not leading on the admin front at the start of the season, which was why no. they didn't them. Sorry, yeah. no, but exactly. still correct, but Robbie Hooker, <laughs> you're doing great, babe. <laughs> that wasn't your fault, I think. Oh, good. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the Amy Harrison moving back into a more central defensive position, which, like, I literally was sitting with Angela at Combank Stadium, and I'm like, Amy Harrison? Centre back? She's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, go on. Even like Alexia Postolakis moving more centrally has been. She has been so excellent, really just quietly. Yeah. And just, um, we've mentioned her a couple of times, and I think we'll mention her a little bit later. Sophie Harding, just having the breakout season of her career, has been really phenomenal. Um, I was going to joke once again that our favorite gal, Holly Caspers, was on the score sheet for the Wanderers. Angela and I sat behind the Caspers family, seemingly, um, during Unite Round. So that was fun. We now have a very soft spot for Holly Caspers. And the only other thing I was going to mention is Sam, you literally said it was like them turning. Uh, water into wine. I just dropped my pen, sorry. You said the Wanderers, it was kind of like watching water turn into wine and I was like, so you are saying that the Wanderers being good is like biblically miraculous, which is... (laughs) I mean, am I wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just on a biblical scale. That's how like shocking this turnaround is. Was there there a St. Robbie in the the Bible? (laughs) Saint Robert, probably. I should know this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was. Let's just pending research. Was. We'll confirm. Isn't there a saint everyone in all of us? Maybe I don't know. Anyway, let's move right along out of that one. Angela Darby, um, you can't lose, babe. You're always winning. It's your Darby. You can't lose. But how was it? The, the face she is pulling right now, listeners, suggests that I am wrong. So, <laughs> um, how tell us about the Angela Darby? Ah, oh, it's a bit annoying to be honest. Um, I'll be honest; like I wanted Canberra to win uh, this particular derby because I think just from what I've been watching, I watch Canberra and I watch Victory pretty closely most seasons, and I've just been. With Canberra, I feel like they've had a few moments where it's or like they've had some really heartbreaking losses. Victory have had some really weird losses, like the thumping against Western United was just a bit like that was depressing, but that was also, I don't know, not as sad as some of the like the last minute like draws and, and losses Canberra have encountered. And it's just, I think. I really appreciate what like Nagosh Popovich and his team are trying to do with this Canberra side, but it does feel like there's just not, it's almost like they've got a project ready for next season in terms of um, the younger players that are coming through that are just like almost there, but not quite and not really at the level to like come on and make a huge difference right at this minute. Um, But at the same time, I feel like they've been playing really exciting football. And this was a really exciting game. The really early goal from Michelle Heyman, and then victory came back and equalized it was an interesting like that was Rachel Lowe who's also she's been I think quite good for victory this season but they're still kind of having the issue why it was annoying was also that victory I don't know what the analogy would be water into wine with what victory are doing it's kind of like Jeff Hopkins has been given a delightful cab sab and he 
doesn't know what glass to put it in or he doesn't like know what <laughs> meal to serve it with you know because we've talked about this quite a lot I think and that they've got victory have really really good players they've got probably one of the on paper most like talent stacked teams in the league but they're still struggling to kind of click and find the best combination to unlock like that talent um and the one-man merch machine had a pretty interesting theory about it it was almost as if um the squad was planned around having a Molina Ayres there to kind of you have have the service get her to just bang them in but then she has left for Newcastle and so the strikers they're working with just yeah aren't quite at that level you've got Aquino who's still adjusting to the dub and you've also got Gilnick who's coming back from injury that was a really lovely part of it part of the game like Gilnick came back on she was a bit uh, but then the banger like you love to see it you love to see um you know potential Matilda's scoring goals as well but yeah it was just I think both teams played badly (laughs) So you can lose the edge of the derby. Um, and there was like a moment in like the like second last minute of the game where Michelle Heyman should have scored and then like the ball was regurgitated and Kote Rojas, she's so little. She like got a head on her, but it just like wasn't enough to like get over the keeper. And to also Courtney Newborn's credit, I think she's done a really good job of stepping into the shoes of Lydia Williams and Miranda Templeman. I think she was originally like that slated to be their third keeper. Um, and I think she's done quite well given the, um, given the circumstances, but yeah, it just <laughs> victory didn't look like they were clicking like the Chids goal. Again, it's really nice to see Chids scoring, but it was definitely more Canberra like brain farting than victory really producing a, a beautiful opportunity there. It was a very janky goal. So yeah, that's my thoughts on it. I'm just like with victory, it's just, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You know, like what's going on guys, let's figure it out. You've got, there was some interesting choices in terms of like subbing the midfield late into the game. And to be fair to Jeff, when he's done that in the past, I think it's always because those players, like for example, putting a page choice on they're they're being developed and they're getting appropriate minutes at appropriate times. But at the moment it, like in this particular game, it seemed a bit like strange. It was also interestingly a very feral game. Um, and some of the refereeing choices were interesting as well. Like to be honest, the Rachel Lowe goal could have been offside, but the broadcast, when I went back to look at it, like when the ball is kicked, she's not even in the frame. So you can't really assess what's going on there. But yes, anyway, that was a bit of a ramble, but that was the Angela Derby. Uh, it's still a fun game, but always a bit like, yeah, it was a bit flat at the end for me and my dad personally. I think what we've kind of concluded from this victory team is that they have too many midfielders and too many wingers and not enough strikers and not enough defenders. And it just, it seems like a, a team that has tried to shove midfielders into positions where they shouldn't be because you don't actually have the specialists to do the job. Um, I'd be really curious to see now what Jeff does as Emily Gilnick sort of increases in fitness. I think because we've seen how Gilnick plays as a nine for Melbourne victory, she won the golden boot when she did it a couple of seasons ago. So 
maybe they've kind of been waiting for her to get back to fitness so that she can be the Molina heirs in at the top of the the tree there um moving a Rachel Lowe a little bit further back where I think she plays better as a, an attacking midfielder alongside maybe an Alex Chidiak and then having an Elise Keller Knight at the base of midfield I feel like that makes more sense to me in football ways um and then having you know your, your quick wingers your Privatelli and your and your McKenzie uh, your yeah why not um on the other side um and then your Aquino kind of coming on to not be thrown so heavily into the deep end and asked to please oh god save our team please score some goals um yeah I don't know but it was a it was a strange game Melbourne victory having a weird season and so Canberra Canberra also having a weird season because they as Marissa mentioned they have the two current leaders in the golden boot race and yet they're second from bottom like it's they uh, they are clearly able to score a heap of goals but when you look at the ladder and their goals for and against they are also very good at conceding a lot of goals um which is something that you know when you look at their back line um there's a lot of like new kind of combinations of people there and historically I think Canberra have been pretty they've been pretty smart in um the way in which they've constructed their um their backline in having combinations of players who've kind of been together for a while so they know how they work but this seems almost completely new and there's a couple of like young players in there like a Sasha Grove then you've got a Cannon Clough this is a new season uh, first season with Canberra it just doesn't quite fit yet um and maybe that's why there's been kind of a lot of chaos there uh, but I have really liked some of the younger players that that Canberra have been bringing through. I think Mary Standish Floody, who moved from Sydney FC, has been excellent. I really, really liked what I've seen from Ruby Nathan when she's come off the bench as well. Love a tall forward, um, and she has such good footwork as well for someone who's a thousand kilometers high. So that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm just like I just I want Canberra to 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 find the magic source because they've got two of the best players in the whole league and they're doing so much work for this team in order to score goals. Um, but the, the the rest of them are just kind of letting it down. You know, if they're able to really shore up their defence, I think Canberra could do what Sydney have done effectively and really bolt up the, the, the ladder in the, over the course of just a couple of rounds. It's also like, I, like I could say something positive about like, all areas of the field for Canberra in terms of like, I feel like Sarah Clark coming in has been really, really important because her leadership in the back line and in guiding those younger players has been so important. I will say like Grove is one of my favorites. She is fantastic. I don't know. She's just like so much of Canberra's attack comes through her as well, but she will never like lose her player. And um, she's just got this like distinct slide tackle that comes out every single game <laughs> now. And it's, it's always fun. Um, and like Chloe Lincoln as well. I, I think she's had like a really positive season and she's got all these qualities of a really like mature keeper who can cover off a lot of the skill sets that you need. Um, I will say like overall, I think the, the Australian keepers in the dub that we've seen this year are really for the most part, like impressing and she's one of them. Um, yeah. I don't know. And it, it does feel like almost sort of similar to victory though, like Canberra uh, don't have that person they can put on for Michelle Heyman when Michelle Heyman um, is like tired or, or lagging in a game. And it is those, it's the later stages of the games where they seem to just really drop off as well because they're not able to like counteract conceding with 
more goals. But yeah, it's a it'll be interesting. I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens to this Canberra side. I know like we're looking ahead, like we're only halfway through the season, but um because it feels like this could be a really good group to kick on with. But um like many clubs in the dub, Canberra are having their own kind of back end issues. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? Um but yeah, as for Victory, yeah, Victory have so much. It's like we've gone over it a lot, but they've got so many good players. And it just, I, I think BD Goad coming back and she's um at the moment studying for exams because sure, hog all the talent, BD. Okay. Um, she's studying to be a doctor for those who don't know, but she's, so she's been away um, focusing on that. But presumably she will have lost some match fitness from not, competing for a couple of rounds so how she's kind of introduced back into the fold it will be interesting as well but yes who are victory victory playing western sydney Mm? next round no no i'm looking way down the table sydney sydney next round so that's the invasion day derby right that'll be that'll be a spicy meatball and wellington canberra okay sorry marissa back to you I love I love a fixture look ahead. Um, we were going to talk about, we've spoken, you know, Canberra have two of the golden boot leaders, like it's literally Milivojevic and Heyman um, sitting on nine goals apiece, leading the golden boot. Um, I think what we're going to do, and I'm telling you this now, um, I reckon we save the... Heyman for Matilda's chat for a big board, which we can do next week. So we can talk about all the current kind of Australian striking options um, in Sam Kerr's absence and should we make the Olympics, God willing. Um, So we won't do that today because there are some other things that we need to talk about, which I think will be a little bit chunky. Uh, which takes us to today's boots, plural. Um, some really quick little ones from me. Uh, we've had our seventh confirmed ACL for a dub player, so it's a smooth and speedy recovery to Taryn King from the Central Coast Mariners. Um, we hate it. We absolutely hate it. It sucks so bad. Um just awful so we obviously hope that she is doing well gets all the care she needs and is back fit and firing sooner rather than later um so again a a perennial boot an always boot to the anterior cruciate ligament um an extremely me boot um the referee during the adelaide western united game why do you hate olympicos why do you hate joy why do you hate me specifically um (laughs) seems really rude uh why do you hate dylan holmes what did dylan holmes ever do to you um obviously yes uh dylan holmes the no olympico unfortunately um and friend of the pod joey lynch asked for comment from football australia and he found out uh, that upon review, Football Australia confirms the referee has made an error in calling a foul during a contest inside the six-yard box and the goal should have stood, which is little consolation to Adelaide United, who probably really could have done with that goal and a point or something. Oh, you're looking at Meg? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, 
I'll show you her in a minute. We're, we're booting Olympicos at the moment or lack of Olympicos at the moment. Um, so, yeah, big boot for depriving me of an Olympico. I don't remember who, but someone on Twitter was also like, I think this referee owes me an apology. I think she owes Dylan Holmes an apology first and then me. Um, yes. But that's that's that on that. And then here's Shocker. the little... Um, and finally, like those serious boots, but the most serious boot of all is a conversation that unfortunately none of us really want to have. It just feels like the latest chapter in inevitable Australian football drama that no one really wanted, but, um, it's a boot to the APL gutting its workforce and just everything that's kind of surrounded that so anyone want to kind of offer up the too long didn't read for folks who maybe don't fully understand what has happened in the past week yeah so uh last week news broke that the apl which is the governing body of the a-leagues would be uh sacking roughly half of their workforce and that's quite a huge number of people i think it's about 80 people um a lot of those according to reports were in the content creation uh department uh namely keep up which has been in itself a bit of a uh, a bit of a story supposedly uh the apl spent 30 million dollars of um their money to build this website which was meant to be the hub of Australian football online. It was meant to be this big website with all of this cool content and interviews with players and match reports and videos and uh, all that kind of stuff. And now it seems like they've pretty much gotten rid of everyone who worked on it um, and is going to be shutting the whole thing down. Uh, maybe the, the warning signs were there when the A-Leagues very softly launched uh, aleagues.com.au and then all of a sudden there were two websites that were run by the APL. Um, maybe that was the canary in the coal mine. But, yeah, that's uh, then the yeah the news kind of came out that a whole uh, bunch of different people would be losing their jobs, which is honestly it's pretty I'm, – I'm, uh, my first reaction was – and this is probably a good um, uh, sort of summary of the way in which a lot of people are feeling – right now, which is I was not surprised that this happened. And to say that about the APL is um, pretty damning, I think, because clearly their track record in terms of decision-making with this kind of stuff has not been great since they were unbundled from Football Australia a couple of years ago. And really you look back at that time, you know, and there was so much hope and promise with these clubs being like, you know what, we can run this competition better we can maximise our commercial opportunities. We can do all the things that Football Australia has not allowed us to do. We are the smart ones here. We are the ones with the, with the you know, the, we've got the keys to the car now. So we're going to break off and form this new thing and it's going to be great. And then really what's happened is the opposite of that, I feel. It's, it really hasn't been great in a lot of ways. Uh, they've really bungled a lot of different big decisions that have needed to be made um expansion i think is one in the men's competition um obviously this whole workforce situation with keep up is another one uh the the broadcast deal i think was another one with paramount and network 10 that clearly hasn't really taken off 
you know, engagement with fans, like a lot of stuff, um, obviously the grand final situation as well, selling that to Destination New South Wales, like a lot of big decisions have been made by this group since they've been independent, which really makes you question like their, their, their intentions, their, their expertise, their vision, their ability and, and the way in which they prioritize particular elements of this competition, because, you know, at the at the heart of things, this these these leagues are about football, and what these various decisions around the the competitions have told me is that they do not think that football is the center of the of these leagues. They think entertainment is the center of these leagues, and that's it's it's a backwards way of thinking about it. I think, um, and we're starting to kind of see, I guess, the consequences of of approaching these leagues in a backwards manner where you try and build all of the entertainment stuff around it while actually not focusing on the thing that people care about, which is the football. Um, I'm, I'm devastated for a number of people who've lost their jobs, especially in the, uh, the sort of the media content production space. You know, Australian football media is already incredibly slim. Um, there are very, very few full-time uh, roles that are available for people to cover the game in this country. And, I think the the idea of having basically like the propaganda wing of the A-Leagues, having its own website, its own people, you know, producing all this content that other major media organisations were not producing makes sense. That makes sense to me. The AFL does it. The NRL does it. Like a lot of the other big competitions do their own content production. And there are a number of, you know, really important, really good, really creative people in those roles who were doing good things. They were doing good work. They were telling good stories. They were giving voice to players who were being ignored largely by other outlets. Um, So to see all of them lose their jobs is horrifying. Um, I really hope that they are able to be picked up somewhere by someone, that they're able to to fall on their feet and, and continue to produce good work. But it's it's just another kind of like death rattle. I feel like for the leagues, like I, I maybe I'm just like I've become incredibly cynical over the last couple of years and and watching sort of the macro decisions that have been made. But you know, if if this is the direction that it's going, I really don't have a huge amount of faith in, in the survival of this competition, let alone the thriving of it in the years ahead. Um, especially in the wake of this world, like Women's World Cup, like if if this wasn't the season to get everything right and for it to absolutely take off, then, you know, I, what's going to do it? You know, I, I just, I just don't know. I'm kind of, I'm all out of ideas and, you know, I know it's kind of our jobs to, to sit and talk about it and, and try and come up with creative solutions and, and to um, provide constructive feedback and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just kind of tired, you know, like I'm really tired deep into my bones with all this stuff now. And I think a lot of other people are as well. So yeah, for any of the folks who worked for the APL who are listening to this, we're so sorry that you're having to go through this. You're a valuable voice and you're a valuable energy in a sport that's increasingly dwindling in terms of its media outlet and output. So, yeah, it sucks. Huge boot to that. And I guess I just have a couple of additional points. I suppose just seeing kind of on Twitter the folks who have lost their jobs, I think they're really there's like other factors that make this even worse the fact that a lot of them were hired it seemed like there was a bit of a hiring spree um less than a year ago so a lot of these people don't haven't been in their roles for more than a year so are not entitled to redundancy packages and that kind of thing um a lot of them are young folks who I think for a lot of them it would have been one of their 
first like full-time opportunities in sports media and I can't imagine the kind of roller coaster of emotions this would have been for them but um I think that also yeah I don't know it 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 feels tricky because there's obviously people who have time and energy and, and passion to dedicate to this space um yeah who where they go now not too sure like the broader sports media landscape and football in particular is is a little bit uh dire i'd say um but also like join your union everyone if you're listening and you're in the sports media space um and you're getting paid for the the work that you do in some capacity um we uh i i'm i'm assuming most people would be part of the media entertainment arts alliance and they do you know different kinds of packages to take into account your income because obviously a lot of people in media are freelance and don't earn a whole lot and that kind of thing but um that like unions are so important at a time like this to make sure that you're getting what you're due um and yeah that's that's my last point on that join your union (laughs) because it's important i think my another thing that i i I think this decision really reflects is the short-termism of the decision making that's currently happening at the apl like angela just mentioned that a lot of these people were hired barely a year ago and already they're being shown the door like what kind of strategy is that? Is there a strategy? Is there a kind of a long-term like two to five year plan with this stuff? I thought, and the noise coming from the APL seems to be that investing in keep up, investing in content creation, investing in sport media was a long-term thing. It was meant to be like, this is the first year of a bigger plan, a bigger journey going forward. We're going to lay all these new foundations and yes, the first year might be a little bit bumpy. We might not get a return on our investment, but it's it's an investment, right? It's not meant to give you an immediate return. It's meant to be a long-term thing. And yet this decision completely contradicts that. And so I think a lot of us are kind of spinning off in the void and just being like, well, what are you, what is the plan? What are you doing? What is the, like, what is the point of all of this? Where is all this money gone? You know, now all of this content is like who's going to be producing it are we going to you know and not to you know be that guy but like what's going to be the first thing that's on the chopping block when it comes to content and only a very short few number of people to produce it it's historically been the women's competition like how much is the a-league women going to suffer in terms of its visibility and it's the storytelling because now there are only x number of people who are still part of that content wing and obviously the financial priority for them is going to be covering the men's competition. Like what's that again, it's like, it's we're going backwards. What is the point? What was the point of any of this? If this was like, did you not foresee that it would not be successful in its first season because you're working and operating in a context where football fans do not really, they've become so sort of like apathetic about the A-leagues that they're not going to immediately engage in this stuff that you're doing, but that's not the point. The point is to try and very slowly draw them back by having a consistent and long-term vision for your sport and the way in which to bring these people back in. And this just, it just, it, it's just, it's baffling to me the way that this has happened. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm so over it. I keep thinking of a tweet from um, a friend of the pod, Dave Manuka, and it was like, thread emoji 
how to fix the A-Leagues and then in brackets it had like one of 297 or something because everyone <laughs> loves to do, you know, the long threads about here's everything that's wrong with the A-League and here is my personal opinion on how we fix it and anyone who thinks otherwise is wrong. And obviously that tweet on its own, funny, got a good laugh out of YouTube, got a good laugh out of me. My thing is that this tweet also just kind of pops up every 18 months to three years like clockwork Mm. because it just Mm. feels like we hurtle from crisis to crisis in Australian football Um, and it's really just like I feel the same as you do Sam in the sense of just that tiredness and I can only imagine how the people who have actually lost their jobs here feel um, for all of the reasons you guys have said and my thought was also just like I can imagine for a lot of people this is a dream job. Like it's a full-time gig in Australian football. These people are young who have probably like grown up with the A-Leagues. These are children of the A-Leagues who were like, I now get to talk about these competitions for work. This is the dream. And that's just kind of been snatched away from from them, which absolutely sucks. But, um, yeah, it's just the kind of... The constant hurtling from crisis to crisis to, um, you know, from one kind of death knell of the league to the next death knell of the league, like it's just never ending and constant and it's exhausting. And um, again, friend of the pod, Joey Lynch, had a really good piece about it on ESPN.com.au and he was mentioning that, you know, like, the Tillies and the Socceroos have never been more popular. Grassroots football continues to be like the most participated in sport in the country. And yet the A-Leagues can simply not like grab onto either of those very um, strong, successful elements of the game. And um it kind of does feel that like Australian football in its entirety is a problem that can't be solved. It won't always be bad and not all of it is bad, but it will never in its entirety be good and healthy and okay and stable. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's deeply unpleasant. It's really, really unpleasant. So um, we will obviously watch and wait and see what, happens next for the APL and what kind of comes of these cuts because we assume that they're like when you're culling that many people their absence will be noticed um so that's going to be not a fun one to watch but one that we will watch but um let's uh boost the mood in here a little bit let's end today's episode with some how goods so angela would you like to kick us off with a how good i would and i'm just frantically googling i'll explain it in a second anyway my how good speaking of unions um i went to a fantastic like two-day forum conference um, thing called the War Room, which was run by the World Players Association and the AAA. Now, the AAA, I cannot find what the AAA stands for. I don't think it's the Airports Association. I'm assuming it's something to do with sport. I'm so sorry, guys. I didn't think to look this up earlier. But whoever you are, you did a great job. Um, So this was a two-day event um, co-hosted with 
Deakin University where I'm doing my permanent head damage. Um, and yeah, it was fantastic. It was basically getting uh, a bunch of folks in the room all from different player associations around the world and in Australia. So for those who don't know the World Players Association, they're connected to the UN and they're kind of like a central, I guess, um, liaison for different player associations around the world. And friend of the pod, Gabby Garten, is um, a players liaison with them. And I actually did do an interview with her a long time ago that I promise will come out soon. Um, but we talk in that all about her work. But they do really valuable stuff, um, as do all the different players associations in um in Australian and, and world sport. And yeah, there were some really interesting discussions and panels. Um, Bo Bush from the PFA talked about how they use the 2023 like FIFA Women's World Cup to get better conditions and a better deal for the Matildas and what that looked like. I learned a lot about commercial rights. I had never, I, I don't come from like a sport business or sport marketing background, so I didn't really know what they they were until this and it turns out really important. Um, yeah, and we had, uh, Nikki, what is it? Nikki White, who represents Sam Kerr on, on one of the panels. There was like not just football, but I feel like football would be the interesting part for folks. Um, Lydia Williams was on a panel as well, talking about, um, you know, the next, like what's come before and what's going to happen next. And she reflected on, you know, the 2015 strike and how things have progressed so much in um, women's football in Australia. So, yeah, it was really fantastic. I know I'm just bragging about like stuff that maybe a lot of people won't be able to catch up on but I do recommend like um the World Players Association's Twitter account they have like lots of quotes and and stuff from the talks on the day and I guess even just like going there to check out like oh that organization exists neat could be a fun thing but yeah it was it was really great and I got a lot out of it um I was kind of just there as a student at Deakin um and yeah lots of academics presented as well um yeah so how good to play well basically player associations unions and learning more about them and the important work that they do absolutely how good sam how good so i think opinion is very divided about um competitions that are decided by polls public polls We've seen over the past couple of weeks that there have been some big awards that have been voted on by fans and the outcomes of those uh, polls and those votes have not really landed very well with fans. Um, The FIFA Pro World 11, I think I'm thinking of as well, like that didn't land very well with fans. It was voted on by players. Anyway, so this is a kind of very, very divided thing. But every now and then, democracy works. And at the moment, we are seeing democracy working um, in a very beautiful way, in a way that football loves, on The Guardian. The Guardian is running a, a big poll across the country about the best sporting moment in the history of Australia. We're down to the top 10 and currently, I think if this is the last day of voting or maybe I think voting closes tomorrow, Wednesday, currently two of the top three moments, according to all the votes that have already happened, are football moments. So the first moment, which I think will probably be the one that wins, is Kathy Freeman winning uh, the gold medal for the 400 metres at the Sydney Olympic Games in 2000. Um, I would be totally happy with that winning. The second uh, placed vote currently is Courtney Vine's winning penalty for the Matildas at the Women's World Cup, which is amazing. 
um, considering so many things and like all this stuff that we've been talking about, considering the status of football in terms like in, in the, the sort of the consciousness of the country, it's women's football as well as the Matildas, you know, like the fact that it's second in this countrywide poll with thousands of voters is such a, a, a perfect encapsulation of like the impact that the Matildas have had uh, and the legacy that they have left in the memories of everybody over the last six months. And then third is another football moment. It is John Aloisi scoring the penalty for the Socceroos against Uruguay to qualify for the 2006 World Cup. Um, Again, another incredibly galvanising moment for the country. It was my first football moment, my first big football memory watching that shootout. Um, Yeah, so it's it's amazing. Like the fact that two two of the most important football moments in our game um, have made it into something as sort of like public as this and have been voted by so many people in a poll like this. Like that gives me faith in polls again. Yeah, I did. I sort of lost the faith a little bit for in some of those uh, like top 100, top whatevers over the last couple of months. But uh, my faith in in the, the good old poll has been restored. So the Guardian and Courtney Vine and the Matildas and also John Aloisi, I guess a little bit. How good? There's nothing that tells you like how important a moment is than you simply describing it, and not even that like magnificently like you literally just kind of said remember the Courtney Vine penalty that won the Matildas and I had goosebumps and I'm like oh yes I, I remember her I remember when that happened um and same just for the John Aloisi thing like you literally just said yeah John Aloisi to get the Socceroos to their first World Cup 2011 I'm like oh my god it's happening again um so yeah if that doesn't tell you that those moments are important I don't know what does um but yes an absolute how good very silly little how good from me, first of all. It was a good week for memes. <laughs> so we had, as I said earlier, uh, Katrina Gorey and Charlie Grant make their debuts for West Ham and Tottenham, respectively. Uh, my personal favourite was Charlie Grant came on for Beth England to make her debut. Um, so the tweet from Spurs Women literally reads, Grant replaces England. And uh, A-League memes really ran with that and simply put Charlie Grant's face over the entirety of England and renamed it Grant. So now on there's a photo of Google Maps <laughs> and it's Charlie Grant's face, Grant, there's the capital of Grant, London, um, and it's, <laughs> it's right next to Ireland and all those other places that you expect to see. And I just had a very good chuckle because it was stupid and I loved it. Um, and that was not the only good meme. Um, Manchester City played Liverpool. Uh, our very own Tegan Micah was involved in a bit of a, a oh dicey God, yes. challenge, which saw uh, Lauren Hemp on her head. Um, so she's posted the photo, and it literally looks like she's in the middle of breakdancing. We're talking legs akimbo in the air. Her head is on the ground. It looks hilarious. People had a lot of fun with that, um, including friend of the pod, Sophie Lawson, who chucked her into a synchronised diving image. Um, So it's obviously a real diver and Lauren Hemp and Sophie's like, "Mm, she's got some good height off the ball, but she's lost her form as she's gone to twist. The legs are apart. The judges aren't going to like that. It's not going to be a good score (laughs) for this dive, Um, which was very funny. And then the, um, the pinnacle of in my opinion, sports content, art but make it sports. Um, 
I love I love that person so much. They also managed to find a photo that perfectly um, represented and perfectly mirrored Lauren Hemp with her legs in the air. So you'll find them on Twitter. You will find them on Twitter. It was just an excellent time for memes. There was some really good content out there. It was um, Gordon Ramsay kind of like, finally, some good fucking content out there. So um, good memes. How good. Absolutely love it. Um, But that is us done for today. As we said, we'll try and do a big board next week so we can have a little bit of a chat about Matilda's squad and what's kind of happening, what the vibes are, what what does that look like basically. Um, And obviously we'll be back for even more dub action next week because, as Angela mentioned, we've got some big games coming up and we absolutely can't wait to get into them. But as always, thank you for listening. We're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, all of the usual pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review and subscribe so you get the episodes directly into your feed. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, please.